Welcome again to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. As always, Dr. Don Miguel. Hi, Zach. That's my uh, Spanish version for you. That's really good. Don Miguel. Don Miguel. Can I use that at home? You can. Okay. How you been? Good. And congratulations to you. Yeah, you guys. Papa Zachary. (laughs) We had to cover for you last time. I know. I guess you you had an excuse. I'm kind of surprised you asked me back. Quite frankly, I've, I, we figure you're all rested up now. Well, I did see that uh, the podcast is trending now on Apple. Uh, so nice work to you and Ben for finally, finally. <laughs> finally. It'd be very, we put yeah, it back you, in its place today. <laughs> yeah, thank you for covering. Yeah, it's been uh, quite the quite the world. You look pretty well rested. I had eight Summer. hours last night. Good for you. First time of anywhere near that in like a month. <laughs> Store it up. You can take a nap after this. <laughs> yeah. So um, which. Basically means that this podcast is heavily going to rely on you because uh, I, I haven't <laughs> you haven't really attention? left the house oh, man. in a month. So uh, what the heck happened? It's no, been, this is prime time to look out the window yeah. and see what's going on. It's been eventful. It has been. It's been a, been an interesting month. Yeah. Let's get everybody here caught up on the spatial and temporal nuance of the early winter season mike so let me let me pose the first question to you which is the pattern of rainfall if you look at the pattern uh for november it's uh it's pretty stark there's a big contrast between a very wet record setting in some places actually so arizona much of arizona parts of uh, southern uh, nevada and, and and utah and, and as well as new mexico have all experienced um, way above average uh, rainfall for November. And then if you go up north to the Pacific Northwest, super dry. Maybe let's deconstruct that that pattern. How, how did we get there? It's a great question. <laughs> is, it, is it one that you know the answer <laughs> no, to? No, <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to say it's a really good question. Oh, I, just, I, I, I just had 30 days to think of that. Complimenting you <laughs> on your question asking ability. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what has happened here? Uh, you know, I'm thinking about the sort of progression from October, I think we did actually, we were together in October mm-hmm. for the podcast. Uh, thinking about October, very dry across Arizona, New Mexico, um, especially Arizona. No rain at all at Tucson in, nope, right? in uh, October. Right. So we, we um, once here, we had uh, a freezing event in the middle of the month and then again at the end of the month, right around. In October. In October. Really? Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting way to sort of kick off the fall season. So not overly warm. Certainly not wet in October like we had seen in the last couple of years, especially thinking back to last October. And then November, I have a little bit of – I was stressed out about what November might bring because of thinking back to just a year ago. And if you remember but back to last November, I believe – I might even be thinking of two Novembers ago – was the very, very dry. It was actually two Novembers ago. I'm, it, time is going much quicker. 2017 of, of uh, coming out of the monsoon season, heading into that very warm, record dry, record warm fall. Last year was not particularly wet. Uh, last Well, last year we had, in Tucson that is, we right. had a pretty good October, but then a a very, a very dry, dry. Yeah, we ended so it up sort of flipped from yeah, this year. That's right. You ended up having that very wet uh, October of last year, tropical storms into a very dry. If I remember correctly, it was kind of midland as far as the temperatures, not particularly warm, not particularly cold, but a very dry November. And so I think that just thinking over the last couple of years, Novembers have not been that kind to us as far as precipitation. You've got to go all the way back to 2013 to see a significantly wet November situation 
here in Tucson in particular and across much of the Southwest. 2013, you may have, did you ride the L Tour? Wait, was that the one that was uh, wet? Yes, it was. It was 2013. So so that month we had 2.22 inches in Tucson and it rained most of the, the total precipitation in that year or in that particular month happened over the, alt- the phenomenal the memory. Tucson. I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, actually, it was, I just wrote this in, the, in a paper, so it was oh. kind of refreshed in my mind. So this last November, the month started off not particularly eventful, and it wasn't until right about the middle of the month we sort of switched into a wet pattern. Ended up having two pretty good big pulses of storm activity that moved through Arizona, New Mexico, and gave us much of the precipitation that we have on the ground now or in the gauges or in the record books. Right. So so Tucson for the month of November saw two and a half-ish inches of rain, more or less. And then we had an additional storm in the first part of December that's taken the, the tally up close to three inches. And uh, it is uh, a fair amount above above the historical average. Yeah. Not only in Tucson, but across pretty much across the the, the Southwest. Yeah, even Phoenix has actually uh, reached just slightly above average for the cumulative water year total. So starting on October 1st. To date, they typically would see about an inch and a half and have about an inch, uh, 1.68 inches at the airport. Uh, Flagstaff in particular has really, after that record dry monsoon season, now has from October 1st to present has over seven inches of precipitation yeah. and is now probably three inches above average for this time of year. So quite a turnaround from the dry, warm summer uh, into the into Yeah, the and, and we needed it for, for some of those places. And when you look at Arizona as a whole, November now tallies as the third wettest on record dating back to 125 years. So late 1800s. That's pretty amazing. So when you, when you, and I think this is based on PRISM data, but when you spatially average the percent of average, basically Arizona comes in at 320-ish percent of of average. So that's pretty remarkable. In inches, that's uh, 2.8 inches. Uh, Do you know the number one, the, the, the wettest November on record? For? For Arizona as a whole. I don't. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't expect you look to. disappointed. I well, <laughs> normally I'm you... a little disappointed in myself. Actually, how about let me just throw out some numbers. 1968. Nope. Uh, 1994. Nope. <laughs> what else? 19. Am I close? 1952. <laughs> Should we play hot or cold? <laughs> no. We, let's go on forever. Okay. No, no. The the wettest uh, year on record actually you have to go all the way back to 1905. Really? And 1978 was the second. Okay. Okay. And 2019 is the third. Uh, So that's that's remarkable. And in terms of temperature, usually when you have a wet month, you also have a a below average temperature. But that wasn't the case this year, actually. Bucking Uh, the trend. Well, we're using trend to buck the trend. So Arizona as a as a whole is uh, about two degrees above its historical average, and that's sort of in the warmer side of the distribution, but not, um, it's the 21st out of 125. So obviously above, above the medium, but you know, not, not like precipitation, not close to record setting. So the weather pattern, uh, from the last time that Ben and I had talked 
up until our, our podcast today has been really quite busy across the Western U.S. I think the day that Ben and I uh, recorded, I was driving home and started to hear the news reports of the hailstorms that had happened um, north of here. And there was accumulating hail in Phoenix. It looked like it had snowed. And that's uh, the mid-November? Yeah. So this has been on November 21st, I believe, is when that, that event came. And these events, we've had that one on the 21st, and we had um, another event that occurred over the Thanksgiving holiday. And then we had subsequently we've had a couple of other ones have been these low-pressure systems dropping off. Some of them have actually gotten orphaned and been closed lows and even cutoff lows. And they look really similar and have behaved very similar to the storm events we had in late September. So the September events that kind of capped off the monsoon season that really weren't monsoonal. We had that low pressure system that got stuck over Yuma and started funneling in subtropical moisture, monsoon moisture at that point in time, and was sparking off those severe thunderstorms. We've subsequently had flash flood warnings and severe thunderstorms with all of these storm events. Well, so that was another interesting pattern for me, at least. I mean, you d we did have in the middle of the night, I can't remember what right. the date was, but there was a, in, in the Tucson area, but I think it was probably even 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 broader. Mm -hmm. um, there was thunderstorm yeah. late at night yep. and some lightning. Lots and, of lightning, yeah. And that is a characteristic of, you, you have to in, entrain pretty pretty warm, moist Juicy air. moist, yeah. So I think it's it's been, these storms have been able to tap into some subtropical moisture to the south, have been cold uh, storms, and so they just produce wonderful. So how does that happen? So you have these, you have these, these jet stream at typical at this time of year. You have these wavy jet streams yep. that can loop from the Pacific Northwest down, and and if they if they loop far enough south, they 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 bring the cold air into our region under a under a trough, and as you have that circulating pattern, you can actually bring up the moisture from from the tropics more or less. The placement of the storms, if the if the low pressure system, if the trough comes in and drops the low slightly offshore, has a better chance and the amount of time that it takes to sort of move in and if it's filling in, if it doesn't have upper level dynamics that sort of sustain the uh, pressure fields, they can entrain that moisture from the south and wrap it up and then have the, if they're, they're cool core, which these ones are, then they have steep lapse rates. And so those steep lapse rates with moisture at the surface, steep lapse rates are going to support convection and so we've had some, you know, very vigorous uh, thunderstorms that have actually moved. But you need the there area. to be a mix of the cold systems, the cold core from the north, but also the yeah. moisture from 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 the south, from the tropics. Yeah. So we've had we've had. You don't always. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. You don't ahead. always get that. You don't always get that. So there was a heavy rain event, many inches of rain that occurred the day before Thanksgiving of just a, just a couple weeks ago, and there was this stream of subtropical moisture that was coming in over northern Mexico and clipped the southeast part of the state. And it, it was just persistent, heavy rain, no lightning, you know, purely tropical driven moisture getting wrung out and, and raining out. So that is kind of one way. And those end up having, they're very warm and they have very high snow levels. And then we had a, one of these low pressure systems drop in be behind it. And that then interacting with the moisture has the dynamics and the instability associated with it to actually produce uh, thunderstorms. And so then you can have the convection, you can have the wind so that a, can come out of that. You it's a combination of uh, patterns or factors. Yeah. Are, yeah. It's, are, it's, it's, the, it's, re it's really sort of bringing the cold air and the warm air together to produce those dynamics and then having the moisture available with it. So we, we often have these storm systems 
drop in and move through the region, but they're not intersecting with moisture. And, and they're, if they're inland, just cold and windy. Yeah, if they're inland, inland trajectories, they're not gonna do anything other than drop the temps and then dry things out. The dew points will crash, and then we'll end up having winds. We actually that's what we're observing. In, so it's all about in, the position of that trough. Then, in, yeah, in that trough. That's right. So that trough coming in and the speed of the trough, and it and it has a lot to do too with the the availability and how close that subtropical moisture is to the south. So what would cause a trough to be positioned to our west off the west coast and be in a more favorable area to, to entrain that subtropical moisture as opposed to one that dives down inland? It's going to be the upstream wave train and I think a lot of other dynamics that I don't completely understand. And one of the important things, and this kind of, I think, has been the case for the fall and maybe the case for the winter, is that we haven't really had any strong blocking patterns. We've had a pretty progressive jet stream, and we've had these sort of inland troughs that have dropped down and just cooled things off and dried things out and given us these sort of strong east winds like we've seen, mm-hmm. like the San Ana winds. We're, we're seeing something similar to that today. It was really windy overnight um, with that cold air uh, in the northern Rockies and Great Plains sort of sneaking back east. And then you can have the ones like where there's a storm system forecast for next week on Christmas Eve that is going to have the trough form off the West Coast and progress inward. And so I think it really has everything to do with the upstream uh, it's all forcings. Upstream. It's all upstream. For sure, man. You, yeah. Wherever you are, it's all upstream. It's, <laughs> is, that, is that your bumper sticker? <laughs> and you're just chasing your Wherever tail. you are, there you are. That's right. Wow, that's brilliant. Like that? I know. It's actually it's pretty good. <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourself. I, yeah, I know. I know. I believe me, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So you you had mentioned that we're we're sort of still in that pattern and and on the horizon for over the holiday uh, week. Yeah. So it slowed down a little bit. Uh, there is there is some indication that the uh, Manjulian oscillation was at play in November, and so that that's going to give you some indication of, and you can sort of see it coming. Is this large? upstream forcing a tropical convection that can then translate and impact the jet stream. And then subsequently, you'll see a jet stream pattern adjustment that that we can see coming. And I think that there was, we saw a little bit of that in early November that it was going to get busy. Right now, things have really quieted down and there's very little signal out there. The, so, the Pacific is not, you know, kind of yielding any thing in an ENSO sort of way. And the MGO is, it's really unknown if it's going to fire up. Again. So there are no, aside from maybe a little bit of that boost from the MGO, there are not other widespread or, or, or large climate drivers that are influencing these these patterns? No, no not right now. But what uh, about, so you mentioned ENSO. Now it is in a neutral phase and we can talk a little bit more about what people think is going to happen for the rest of the winter. But in, in terms of a neutral phase, we tend to think of maybe the jet stream having a little bit more leeway. It's not forced more often than not north or, or, or south. Yeah. And so there is that, that opportunity for those uh, progressive troughs to move through maybe more frequently. Is Yeah, there's no, there's no big rocks in the, in the stream upstream that you'd expect to see the jet stream sort of working around or being forced and then having these sort of standing wave patterns, right? Which is really what we see when you talk about strong El Ninas or La Ninas, that there's some big, massive forcing in the atmosphere that's somewhat immobile. So it just keeps giving off energy and the atmosphere keeps responding to it. And then the atmosphere adjusts around it and then it sends waves downstreams that are fairly consistent. We don't really have that 
right now. So so weather becomes at play. And so then I think that really makes the longer term outlooks for the wintertime a, a real challenge. And you even see the Climate Prediction Center and their discussions really struggling. And there's a, there's a slight uh, there's a bit of a lean towards drier than average for southern Arizona and southern New Mexico, but it's not a real strong anomaly. And it seems we were kind of talking about this offline. It well, seems, let's, then yeah. let's let's turn to this later, okay. though, because I do want to like sort of look. You want to talk about it now? At, at the models. Um, <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, we snowpack, I guess, is the, is the only other thing because tis the season. Yeah, I've already moved on to, to to the rest of the winter. So. Yeah, well, maybe we. <laughs> what about Arctic oscillation? Anything that, uh, that you keep wanting to drag out the Arctic oscillation? Yeah, I do want to keep because the Arctic oscillation has a somewhat of a signal. Maybe not here in the Southwest, but um, when we think about um, the broader U.S. temperature. You know, when you have a, a, a positive Arctic oscillation, you tend to bottle up the cold air. The the the, the jet stream around the, the the Arctic region is 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 faster and keeps that cold air bottled up. And yep. conversely, when you have that Arctic oscillation index in a negative phase, it basically means that that cold air isn't as bottled up. So you right. have outbreaks of of cool condition predominantly in in the eastern half of the U.S. But there is some indication that might actually uh, bleed over here into the southwest as well. It doesn't have a lot of impact on us here, but I mean, it can have some sort of secondary impacts. We can see some cold air seep in from the east in some of these backdoor. But you're not, uh, you think. I'm not a big fan. Yeah. No, not really a big fan. You just don't think it's. um... I don't think it exists. No. <laughs> it's just it's just made up. I was just gonna see how far you went down. No, actually, no. It's it's a real thing. Um, it's it doesn't have it doesn't. I don't. It doesn't tell us much. Yeah. I think for the for the weather down here, here in the southwest, here in the southwest, it's a very just, important. It's it's like yeah. you know the North Atlantic oscillation, the Arctic oscillation are very much tied together, and it is a really important forecasting tool for the the continental divide. But if everything is upstream, eventually oh, it goes that all the way around. That upstream would that is if you ascribe to the Earth being round <laughs> and not being a flat planar. And so typically what happens it just falls off the other edge. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. And so those wave patterns never make it back around. So <laughs> Okay. I got you on that one I think. Yeah. I, well I don't know who got who <laughs> on, on on whatever there. Okay. So you're you, you think though, just to put a bow on that, that the we should just move on from that. <laughs> no, I think it. I, I think it's interesting. I think that the the AO there have been a couple of cold air cold air outbreaks, but there hasn't been a persistent stuckness to the atmosphere. It hasn't gotten stuck there, and so I don't think that the AO has really explained a lot of what's been going on. And and the Arctic Oscillation is looked at as this whole like, the idea of sudden stratospheric warmings and sort of breakdown of the the upper level stratospheric polar index can then be a precursor for the the AO to have certain phase changes. So so people in the eastern US really look to that to see if that's happening then subsequently weeks later you might start to see these cold air outbreaks. Really hasn't been the blogs that you know you and I have talked about follow haven't really seen that mm. haven't really seen that manifest yet and the forecasts there's a I'm looking at one of the arctic oscillation forecasts for the rest of the month. This suggests it's going to go super negative, which would mean that cold air gets kicked open and starts to spill south. But then it trends back to neutral, which is really just the models struggling to figure out what's going on. Right. And the Arctic Oscillation sort of evolves on weekly timescales. It does. And it's like without ENSO and without MJO now, 
we don't have anything to go on. PDO? Sure, man. I, I, <laughs> you're, you're Quasi, baiting, you're the QB, baiting me. The QBO? The QBO. I am baiting no, the QBO. Oh, QBO. I wish I understood what the QBO was. I read about it. I just don't quite get it. Yeah. I, um, and it is, it's another forecasting tool, the, the quasi-biennial oscillation in the, uh, well, well let's get the let's get the forecast in a minute, but I did want to bring up the end of the year temperature record because at the end of the year there's always many talk about where global temperatures came in and in, in their ranks. And given that there's only a couple of weeks left in 2019, uh, it does look like the global average temperature will be will come in at the the second warmest on record yeah. behind 2016, which is notable because this year was not an uh, El Nino year. Right, didn't Two, have the the gas. Yeah, in 2016 was, and that matters because in an El Nino year you have more. Yeah, you're uh, juicing the atmosphere with a little extra heat. Right, because yep. you have uh, warmer sea surface temperature yep. waters across much of the uh, Pacific that adds. A little bit of an extra. Do you, by the way, do you know what the 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 added amount of of heat globally would be from an El Nino? More, mm. are we talking like a couple tenths of a degree or four petawatts? Four petawatts. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but how many zeros is that? I don't know. I just like saying that. I think it's a cool word. But I really don't. I don't know. So, so when we look at the global temperature pattern for the last three months, actually for October and November, what's really interesting is. For October, the entire globe outside of places in Antarctica is warmer than average with a few points here and there which are below average. But the real bullseye for anomalously cold conditions in October is in the Western U.S. Yeah, I know. It's, it's very, really it's it's very really, telling. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, any I don't thoughts, know what it tells. but Any um, thoughts on – No, I think it's, it's, it, it's felt mild. I mean, this, yeah. this, I mean October was – very cold. And it's interesting to look at these maps as you sent around is that it was only below average in the entire planet in the Western US. Yeah. So so global warming was not canceled based on what we experienced here. Well, that's uh, right. And it was the second warmest October um, for the planet. For the planet since yeah. 1880. Even so. though we end up having, there was some temperature, minimum temperature records broken in the interior West in October at the same time that the planet had its second warmest October on record. So just crazy to see how that all and shakes out. And fast forward one month to November, and November was also November was also the second warmest November on record. And then that cold bullseye shifts from the west to the east. And basically the east uh, is one of just a few places globally that has below average te- temperatures. Right. And so it's and you can see it's just that subtle progression in the dominant jet stream pattern was moving that little cold blob there. The jet stream was progressive moving around, but just the recurrence of where it was moving that cold air from north to south shifted slightly from October to November yeah. in the western US. And the rest of the planet, I mean you don't see anywhere in any of the other continents having that level of cold anomalies that we had here in the west. So it was yeah, kind of an unusual situation. So 2019 is going to be the second warmest year on 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 record. We'll see what uh 2020 brings. And um, just, you know, to and this will kind of lean into our forecast here discussion is that the the Pacific Ocean is warm everywhere. It's from the Gulf of Alaska right down to the equator is above average. It's just everywhere and it's not a lot it's not an El Nino situation. The anomalies in the spots that we normally look are not enough to make it uh, trip over into that category, 
But the entire Pacific Ocean is warm. It's really quite interesting to see. Much of the Atlantic is warm, too. It is warm, too. Yeah. Okay. So just very briefly, let's just go over the snowpack situation early in the season. And this, as one would expect, it largely mirrors the the rainfall pattern. So basically above average, for the most part, above average snowpacks in the upper elevations in Colorado, Utah, some in Arizona and New Mexico. It's a, mis- it's a mixed bag though, and which is not uncharacteristic this early in the season yep. because you can you can early. get snows, but then it, the, you can get warm conditions that, that melt them away uh, quite quickly. But the inflection point basically is, is northern Nevada, California, and Utah, and it, it switches from uh, above average to below average in the northern Rockies and the Pacific Northwest. So, and that is largely the result of more or less um, the trajectory of the, of the jet stream. So we've been the beneficiaries here in the, in the southern tier of the west, and the Pacific Northwest uh, has yet to... Well, they've gotten rain, but they just haven't gotten as, as much as they, they, they usually do. Right. Uh, anything you want to say about uh, uh, snowpack there? I mean, it's good. To, we haven't had a wet November in a long time. I think having a wet November, there's some research that that suggests that that helps set up subsequent accumulation of water in the soil. So mm. it can it kind, of, kind of prime the system a little bit. So that's that's not – and we just haven't had a wet November <laughs> in many years. Uh, I think Is it's that also, a harbinger? Uh, no. <laughs> There's no predictive power with with November? Nope. nope. No, November and regressions uh, don't, uh, don't have any uh, significance? N- no. They, no, I don't think so. <laughs> we could do the eyeball regression right now. No, I don't, I don't think that there's any, any suggestion. We had a very dry November last year and ended up having a very wet winter. That's I don't right. think it's going to be the inverse. I do think we're really on this at best two-week outlook schedule for the rest of the winter. Quite honestly, it's just sort of the wait and see and look out, looking at the two weeks to see so how what, things evolve. What creates your optimism or pessimism then? I'm a hopeless optimist because there's this chance that it could be awesome. And it's not until it's almost done and it's been miserable that I'll really get grumpy. Well, so this is a little bit different than your your sort of monsoon mood because you're you're kind yeah. of like Yeah, you're right. You're, I, I'm you're, very inconsistent. Yeah. yeah your emotions are yeah. all over the place. I just well I was thinking about last winter and how fun that was. And I was like, yeah, we can do it. We have that potential to do winters like that down here. But even there's it, no way that's gonna happen again. Even, you know, go back like what, three, four years ago or even Two, two years ago. ago, yeah. Two winters ago was horrible. You were still, if I would have asked you how you feel on any given day, you'd be like, yeah, it's going to rain tomorrow. Because or, that's or the way I outside function. outside of the, the, yeah. the, the forecast. See, the monsoon's a little bit different. You have this short window. you got your you got to be there. you, you got to show it. up. you yeah. got to be there. If you're Each, not, if, you're, 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 yeah. the time is ticking away. July 20th and yeah. you're not in the game, yeah. I'm done. Like I walk away from that season. That but season isn't, is doesn't the same apply here? No, not at all. a three-month window? It's like. November and we've already had this amazing performance and I'm like shoot we but can is do it, it the again? time we have such a short window no nah, we can do January we got <laughs> February we got March even we've done March <laughs> April why not you no know, April is, April is last very May. Ra- <laughs> last May it rained oh yeah if you <laughs> this is this is half a year guys I am half a I year am definitely sensing some inconsistency I think we've got three solid months in the winter to get you check in with me at the end of January we'll probably have already had a 95 degree day what's it the, won't have rained what's in, the amount uh what's the climatology for March how much rain do we get it we don't get much we actually. don't get much I bet it's like three quarters of an inch yeah I would yeah. I would have said it was a little bit more than that like 
an inch and inch and a quarter, inch I, and a half. I bet it's not even that much. Well, I'm just saying, like you know, December, January, and February are the are and 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 March. So in 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 my view, there's a four month window, yeah. which is not that much longer than the monsoon. And so I I feel like that the the time is ticking. I think anything's possible. See, wow. the monsoon monsoon is it has a, such a hard edge at the beginning, and then it's it's game time until a basically the first week of September. I mean, that's that's like the core of play right there. Mm-hmm. The winter time, we've already had play in November. I mean, it's like the, the warm-up's been good. And then we're going to probably get rain next week with, with Christmas. So you think there's more consistency in the in the winter then? No, God, no. There's way, way less consistency. Than the monsoon in comparison to the monsoon. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, the, the interannual variability with wintertime precipitation has enormous – it, there's so many dry winters and then a handful of we should like look at epic this, wet. this data because I haven't looked at that. Yeah, if you look time. at the monsoon in general, and again, it's on every location, it's got much narrower um, variability. variability. Hmm. And so, it, like in the season, it usually rains about this much. Not everywhere else, same time. But I wonder if the ranges are, are, are similar because, at least in this part of uh, Arizona, the monsoon and the winter precipitation are similar. It depends on what you lump in and what you lump out. Like if you put October in the winter or you put it in the no, forget summer. about October. Yeah. That's like its own tropical storm it is, season. It is, so yeah. I, yeah. To me, it's November, December, January, February, March. So it's so a five-month. I, I have irrational exuberance right yeah. now, which I, I have a lot in a lot of stuffs. If you were smart, you'd get me on some kind of – we game this out some way and bet some money and well, okay, and I would eat it. <laughs> so what's what's your take then on on uh, on the winter? Okay, let's it's probably gonna be put that large. on. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm totally confused. You should be. <laughs> All right. Welcome to my head. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Let's think about what's on the horizon for the projection. So you've already talked about Enso kind of being off the table. I mean, there is we're sort of borderline. We're neutral, borderline. We're not borderline El Nino, are we? Not really. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty neutral. I I mean, there's warm water in the Pacific um, in the equatorial region. The sea surface temperatures in El Nino 3.4, the box that the magic box we look at, have been bumping around above average. I doubt that right now it's going to trip trip anything um, into official and the, categories. And the forecasts are like. Seventy percent neutral with marginal percentages of El Nino. I say marginal because I I don't I'm not looking at that figure right now, but I, but I do know that neutral is seventy percent, which is which is really high. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I, most of the they put most of the eggs into the neutral basket as far as the the wagering right now. Okay, so then recognizing that when we talk about seasonal projections and seasonal forecasts of, of precipitation. Seasonal outlooks. Seasonal outlooks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. There is a technical definition between. I think so. I think projections are different. They're a little bit more definitive. I think I would say less definitive. <laughs> projections than I don't outlooks? know. It's, I, don't, I, I always really thought know. outlooks were more climate, qualitative. Climate projections is not being forecasts and is, and is forecast not being outlooks. So what's the different def- difference between a forecast and an outlook? I always think of outlooks of having maybe being probabilistic and less confidence and forecasts having more confidence. Yeah, I was thinking that outlooks were more maybe qualitative yeah. isn't the right word. I would say in rank order. But they're all f- probabilistic no matter what, yeah. like a forecast. Forecasts can be deterministic, though. They can tell you it's going to be 45 degrees. And that's when you run away. 
<laughs> Do not believe a deterministic. Well, I mean, a weather forecast. forecast. Well, not a climate one, yeah. right? Yeah, weather forecast. Yeah, not bad. I mean, for for, for the next hour. Well, right. It's a forecast. <laughs> what do you want? Okay, so admittedly, that these seasonal climate forecasts, they're the main predictor is ENSO. And when you don't have a strong ENSO signal... for Yeah, for the Southwest for precipitation in the winter season is ENSO. Right, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a geographic in that? Um, no, I think some, some other regions and seasons have other, mm. other predictors. Okay. But you're right, the Western US, but, and also it's, it's somewhat seasonal as well. The, the forecast, as you mentioned before, the official forecast sort of calls for slightly elevated chances for January, February, March rainfall in the Pacific Northwest to be above average and uh, slightly elevated chances for parts of California and Texas to be below average. And then everything else is sort of, well, actually, no, I should also say the northern tier of the, the, the U.S. and Midwest area is also forecasted for uh, above average. Did I get that right? Were we talking precipitation? <laughs> yeah, we're talking precipitation. <laughs> yes. So that's the official forecast. Yeah, yeah, for the upcoming season, right. Yep. Um, and then when you look sort of under the hood at the models that are going into, that's a sort of summary. That's that's looking at all the model guidance and a, and a bunch of other tools, and the forecasters are narrating that 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 picture. When you look at the seven or eight other models that are used to contribute to that picture, there's kind of an interesting feature. One of them is there is a very robust below there's a very robust dry signal off the Pacific Northwest coast. Uh, and, and that shows up in basically six of the seven models. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on what the heck would be driving that because that to me is a signal that's fairly consistent. And so there's, that would lend itself to a little bit more credibility or believability, if you will. I mean, all of the, these different models are picking up on the same thing. To me, that's suggesting that there's a predominant ridge that's that that's showing up in that location. So, what's your what's your take on that? Well, I I think, and I think the Climate Prediction Center discussion hinted at this a little bit is that the arrangement of the sea surface temperature anomalies across the Pacific Ocean are going to produce anomalous thunderstorm activity in a certain part of the Pacific Ocean, and this would be sort of the dateline and then slightly west of the dateline with suppressed convection on the east side of the dateline. If that were to manifest itself and persist, then you'd get this wave pattern that would lead to those that pattern of anomalies downstream. And so I think, you know, it's it's and I think I think that's it. But it's not particularly strong and we wouldn't expect to see that it's not a it's not like it's not a strong El Nino and it's not a strong La Nina pattern. And so it's not, it shouldn't necessarily be a sort of pers a, a persistent anomalous convection across the Pacific Ocean. So I expect that weather scale, time scale variability. You're will, still going to get a lot of, yeah. yeah. And MGO, I mean like, and then there's a sub-seasonal variability, which would be like MGO uh, initiation and propagation. So, so that this ends up being an interesting model signal, but I believe a very low confidence well, one thing, outcome. yeah, and one thing that I think about when I look at these patterns is, let's say that pattern, a ridge pattern, is robust. Its location, if it shifts 
couple hundred miles to the west out to sea or uh, maybe a little bit more than a couple hundred miles or if it shifts inland, that is going to have marked difference. It, it can flip the sign of, of, oh, of, yeah. of, of precipitation. Absolutely. So, or, or, there's not a, or there's not a persistent pattern. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's suggesting that there's some pattern that accumulates that precipitation anomaly, but maybe isn't necessarily a standing wave or a blocking pattern or something like that. Right. And mm. so I think that that's m- more what the models are hinting at is that maybe there'll be a frequency shift of more of these kinds of storms versus those kinds of storms. And again, they don't, I mean, the seasonal models out that far don't do the weather scale. Right frequency statistics very well. It's just interesting when you look at this though, because only one of the models of the seven has sort of a wetter signal for uh, Arizona and, and, and parts of New Mexico. And three, four have slightly drier signals for uh, Arizona and New Mexico. This is so frustrating business we're in. They may be right. It's been interesting to watch I like to look at the six to 10 day forecast, the eight to 14. There's an experimental week three, four. And then there's these, the seasonal forecast, the one month, the three month. And so the confidence obviously increases as you get down to the six to 10. So the six to 10 and the eight to 14 have been cool and wet for many weeks now, sort of progressing forward, while the week three, four is always dry. And so the week three, four ends up being wrong. And this sort of near-term forecast ends up being right. Can that keep going? I don't know. Mm. But it just, it just to me, it suggests that the variability that we're going to deal with this winter is at much shorter timescales. Okay. And there's not much signal to look at further. This very well could be that this ends up being a very dry winter, but it's not a foregone conclusion because we don't really have anything to hang our hat on at this point. And that's the... That's my optimism. That's, that's my your irras- pessimism. That's my ir- irrational exuberance is that, I don't know, could yeah. be good. All right. So then... Once we, once we get to the like end of January and we get into February and it's tanked, then I'll be back to normal. Early February okay. for those skiers out there. Oh, we're already under this. Yeah. yeah. Where do they go? Where there is seasonal snow fall and snow pack from a climatological perspective. Wow. <laughs> we really needed you for that one. I just got through saying that the week that I can't see back six to ten days, and you want to forecast for February. I know. I'm ready. Wishful, to, I'm ready to do that. Wishful forecast. thinking. You just got to get me into the right, the right time. Okay, so Mike, I, I, I think we know your 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 viewpoint here. It's going to be a, a pretty, um, pretty spectacular winter season. I, and um, I'm hoping for that. I know that it won't come true. Let's just put it that way. I asked for the Red Rider BB gun. I know I'm not going to get it. <laughs> But it's going to come out at the last minute. You won't shoot your eye out. And I won't shoot my eye out, but I will shoot my eye out. Yes. All right. Well, any any, any last second parting shots before uh, we say goodbye to 2019? Yeah. Happy holidays, everybody. And congrats again, Zach. And uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the season. All right. Thanks, everybody. Okay, I, I, I didn't realize it was at three. I thought it was four to, four to, four to six. You got to go then, yeah. man. All right.